Welcome to Kingdom Talk 2.0 Radio Hour with Dennis McCord, founder of God Hope Ministry and Pastor Charlie Avila from Clovis Christian Center. Kingdom Talk is where Christ is King and we are subjects and citizens of the Kingdom of God. Oh yes, we are here on Kingdom Talk 2.0 every Saturday from 1 to 2 with Pastor Charlie Avila of Clovis Christian center. It's so good to, to be with you, my brother. Amen. It's always good to come and declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Amen. yes, we are. We're going to be continuing to declare that he is Lord. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he's coming back yes. to judge the wicked and reward the righteous. We want to bring the full gospel. We're not going to pick and choose on what parts of the Bible we want to learn about and understand. And uh, this is one area of study that needs to be uh, understood. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we don't always talk about end times or Bible prophecy, but we're going to be for a season yeah. and, uh, we're going to continue doing so for the next few weeks, uh, because we want to be sons of Issachar to understand, to know the times and what Israel ought to do. And we want to facilitate unity even in, uh, uh, in the body of Christ with regards to even our brothers and sisters that hold to a different view. You know, mm-hmm. I say this quite often here, uh, on kingdom talk 2.0 that in essentials, unity and non-essentials, diversity in all things, charity. Mm-hmm. And so we do need to recognize we have brothers and sisters. Now I have a friend who's become a dear friend, Steve Gregg. Mm-hmm. He has a radio program here on weekdays, five days a week, prime time mm-hmm. from two to three. Yeah. Every day, Monday through Friday on 1550 KXEX, he holds to the all-millennial view. Mm-hmm. Uh, I disagree with him. I spent the last few days with him mm-hmm. at his house down in Southern California. He's wow. right in Calvary Chapel country. Steve Gregg was raised in Calvary Chapel in the sense of uh, as a young believer. He was a teenager. He was there with Chuck Smith in wow. Costa Mesa in the tent. Wow. He knows those guys. He knew Keith Green, the, the musician that crashed in the plane. Mm-hmm. He's a Calvary Chapel person. Right. And uh, he uh, is a, a brilliant man. He's got a photographic memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I agree with him on so much of what he teaches. I mean, I would say I, I would say I agree with him on 90% of what he teaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, maybe not quite that much, maybe 85, but that's a lot. I can't think of many teachers I could say that about, right? Yeah. But- on eschatology, he has a particular paradigm. It's all millennialism, which is that we're in the millennium now. So let me just, as review for those that are that are dialing in here, we're going to talk about end times. And there are three main schools of end time teaching. There is all millennialism, post millennialism, and pre millennialism. All millennialism, the word, the letter A meaning not or negating the word, meaning there is no real millennium. We are in the millennium now. The church is reigning with Christ right now. The thousand years is not literal. It's the church age. Ah, millennialism. Post-millennialism is that the church now establishes God's kingdom to its fullest extent prior to Christ's coming. The church ends up infiltrating the world with the gospel to where the Christians are running the government, media, education, medical, everything is run by the church. The millennial kingdom is established by the church and then Christ comes back after Mm -hmm. the millennium, thus post 
millennialism. Now, mm. premillennialism is what we hold to, and we believe it's biblical, it's historical. Mm-hmm. Historical premillennialism is that Christ comes before the millennium. Even though, yes, we are in the kingdom now by the Spirit, being mm-hmm. born again, mm-hmm. um, there is still a not yet aspect of the kingdom, which is the fuller, more robust expression of the kingdom. When Christ returns, he establishes his kingdom, he sets up his throne in Jerusalem, and he reigns for a thousand years on the earth. Mm-hmm. This, we believe, is biblical for good reason. Mm-hmm. Now, back to my friend Steve Gregg real quick, because it's important to understand what's going on. Uh, one of Jack Hibbs is a is a uh, prominent, I love him. He's a very easy guy to listen to. He's, he's dynamic. He loves our country. I listen to Jack Hibbs. I, I think he's a dear brother. But he attacked uh, all millennialism in such a way, saying that you're a heretic and it's mm. blasphemous wow. if you teach all millennialism. Mm. It was not charitable and it wasn't, it wasn't, was not fair because a lot of teachers over the last, you know, uh, uh, let's say, uh, 1700 years have 1600 and a half years have been teaching on millennialism and they love Jesus. They're brothers mm-hmm. and sisters. Yeah. It's wrong. It's not biblical. And Steve and I continue to have dialogue about this. I mean, we don't hold back, mm-hmm. but, um, he's not a heretic. Right. You know, I, in fact, I encourage you to listen to him uh, Monday through Friday from two to three. You can call, ask him questions. In fact, that's what I wanted to say. Listen to Kingdom Talk 2.0, hear what we're saying about the millennium, and then call Steve and ask him a question. And then email us. Okay, I'm going to give you a, an email address here. Not today, but I'm going to give you an email address. And uh, I'll give you my email right now. Well, I, I hesitate to give up my personal email, so I'm going to wait on that. But we're going to give you a chance to respond to us. But ask Steve, what about these guys that are saying that Christ comes before the millennium? They believe that Jerusalem's going to be the center of the, 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 the new world kingdom and that um, the Jews are going to be restored to Christ and ask him those questions. And then we'd love to dialogue with you. But um, just want to remind you that we are facilitating unity in the essentials, diversity in the non-essentials. So, so, and love in all things. So let's continue to do that. Um, and so uh, we will dive deeper into specifically historical premillennialism at another time, but because I took up so much time here in the introduction, let's get right down into um, uh, the subject here of your book, which is The End Times. It's very clear. It's very succinct. And again, the name of your book is? The End Times. And they can receive it how? Uh, just go to Amazon.com and just type The End Times Charlie Avila, and it'll pop right up, and you can order it in soft cover, candle, or hardcover. Are you still offering a free book? I am offering a free book. If you want a free book, just give us your name and number, and you can just send that to teacherofthebible at gmail.com. All one word, teacherofthebible at gmail.com. We'll send you a free copy of the book. No questions asked, no strings attached. Teacherofthebible at gmail.com. There you go. Yep. All right. Thank you so much. Now, we've been started to talk about the big Three. What's the big three, Pastor? Well, the big three is the second coming of Jesus, the rapture of the church, and the day of the Lord. Those are the things that are emphasized uh, both in the Old Testament and the Gospels with Jesus and the Apostle Paul. And uh, it's also in Revelation, the big three. Second coming of Jesus, rapture of the church, day of the Lord. 
Yes, and we see this over and over again in the scriptures that these are all mentioned together. It's not like the rapture's mentioned and then over here is the second coming and the day of the Lord. Right. They're all in one breath. Yes. It's one subject. Mm -hmm. It's a complex event, singular event that has multiple facets to it. That's correct. Very good wording. Yes. Yeah. So if you look at any anyone who has studied the Bible, even a, a short amount of time, knows that uh, the focus of end times in the Gospels are in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. So if you go to those chapters, Jesus starts talking about things that are going to come upon the earth on the end of the age. And there's other dynamics that are going on there, but those are the three that we want to look at today. And so um, if you go to Matthew 24, we want to actually read this, Matthew okay. 24, mm-hmm. and there's three verses together there, 29, 30, and 31. And so you'll see it beautifully written out in, in Mark 13, going to see the same thing, Luke 21, see the same thing. You go to the Apostle Paul in First Thessalonians, see the same thing. Go to Second Thessalonians, you see the same thing all over again. So first of all, in Matthew 24, verse 29, Jesus said this, he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, and here's what we want to focus on, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Okay, We know that that is a quote, uh, even if you have look at your Bible and look at the references in your Bible at the bottom or on the side margin there, it's a, it's a quote from Isaiah, Isaiah 13. And it's verse 10, and Isaiah thirteen ten says, For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened and it's going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. So he was quoting from this verse, and we say, well, how do you know that's the day of the Lord? Well, if you look at uh, the verse right before it, he says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes. And if you look at uh, three verses before that, in verse 6, it says, Wail. For the day of the Lord is at hand. And he'll even say it afterward in verse 13. He says, therefore, I will shake the heavens. The earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. So we know scholars have studied uh, Isaiah and uh, in chapter 13, verses 4 through 13. He uses, he talks about the day of the Lord. So verse 10, right in the middle of there, he talks about the sun the moon and the stars not giving their light, falling, and so on. So that's the day of the Lord. Clearly, day of the Lord language. We know that these cataclysmic, cosmic things are mm-hmm. happening in the heavens when Jesus comes. The very next verse, Matthew twenty four thirty, is the second coming of Jesus. And this one, even the pre-trib rapture people believe this is, this is the second coming of Jesus and glory and power. It says the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. That's also in Revelation 1, 7. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great, with power and great glory. So that's the second coming. The very next verse says, and he, Jesus, will send his angels, those are the reapers, Matthew 13, with a great sound of a trumpet, the last trumpet, and they will gather together. There's that language, that rapture language. Gather Episodic together. Agage. His 
elect. doesn't say Israel. It says he's elect, the electos. And you check that word out through the book, the New Testament. I think it's mentioned six times, always referenced in the New Testament to Christian believers. It says from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So there's the rapture. So you have the day of the Lord. That's a judgment. You have the Son of Man coming. That's the second coming. And then you have the rapture of the church. You know, that's a good insight there regarding the word electos. Mm-hmm. and how that always applies to the church. Uh, and again, let's just, we're going to be emphasizing this uh, throughout this series, but uh, it's its immediately after mm-hmm. the tribulation. Yeah. Then it mentions uh, the rapture. Yeah. So immediately after the yeah. tribulation, mm-hmm. we have the rapture. So it's a post-tribulational <laughs> rapture right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so... That's important uh, to, to, to recognize. Um, and remember we said last uh, couple of uh, mass, um, programs ago, the word tribulation is thelipsis. 40 out of the 45 times that it appears in the New Testament, it's speaking about persecution. And 40 of those times, it's, it's always against Christian believers. It's coming against the believers in the Lord. So when we think of tribulation, don't just think wrath, the wrath mm-hmm. of God, because that's when the preacher rapture people say, oh, we're not going to be here when there's wrath. Right. Well, the, the, no, Jesus has saved us from the wrath of God. But we must understand tribulation has to do more with persecution than just wrath. That's not the only thing that it's talking about. Right. Right. Yeah. So, good. uh, Okay, so now if you go over to Mark, guess what? Mark chapter 13, verse 24, 25, 26, 27. There's four verses there. Those all do the same thing. Same thing all over again. So he says in Mark 13, 24. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall. The powers in the heavens will be shaken. Day of the Lord. The next verse, verse 26. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in in the clouds with great power and glory, the second coming. And now notice this. This is a very important point here on the rapture in verse 27, Mark 13, 27. It says, then he will send his angels, those are the reapers, gather together his elect from the four winds. Now notice this, from the furthest part of the earth to the furthest part of heaven. And I thought, why is that the case? Well, we know that some of our families are already gone home to be with the Lord, right? So these are the people that have to get the new glorified body. So it's not only the ones that are down here on the earth when the Lord comes. Well, there's people up that are going to be, uh, those are the ones that are going up first, right? The ones that, that, that Paul talked about, the, those that are dead in Christ will go up first. So it's the furthest part of the earth, furthest part of heaven. Again, talking about the rapture. So we have it again, the day of the Lord, second coming of Jesus, a gathering again. Now that gathering things. together is the word epasunagage. It's the mm-hmm. same word that Paul uses in Second Thessalonians, yes, chapter two. Two. Uh, and these verse. things that I run into regarding our gathering together, yeah, uh, unto the Lord, epasunagage, yeah, uh, that they shall not come except there be a falling away first, and that man of sin, the son of perdition, be revealed again. The episunagage doesn't happen until after mm-hmm. the man of sin, yeah. which would be the Antichrist. It would be the beast yeah. of Revelation 13, right? A king of uh, the kingdom. And the whore of Revelation 17, mm-hmm. uh, or the little horn in Daniel 7, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the fourth beast you know, uh, of, 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 of Daniel 7, and the uh, feet and legs uh, of iron and clay. 
that 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 antichrist uh, comes first, and then the episunagogy, the gathering together again, post-tribulational. That's great. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, very good. That's that's uh, that's exactly correct. So, um, and we'll get to that in just a moment when we go into Second Thessalonians. Nice, uh, because it, it it has a very beautiful order there in Second Thessalonians chapter two. Um, okay, so if you go to Luke twenty-one verses twenty-five through twenty-eight, same thing all over again, same order. Uh, Luke 21 verses 25 and 26, it says there will be signs in the sun in the moon, the stars and the earth distress with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring men's hearts, failing them for fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. There it is again. There's, there's this earth shaking. There's the Mm -hmm. heavens shaking that Jesus is coming. The next verse, uh, verse 27, it says, and then they will see the son of man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. I just want to make a comment right there. Every time Jesus spoke about his coming, he always spoke about how visible, how powerful in the clouds with all the angels, with disturbances in the heaven, uh, power and great glory. Always that way. Never said he was coming secretly. In fact, he said if there was anything that they said, oh, it's over here in a corner, it's secret. He goes, don't believe that because I'm going to come like lightning that lights up from the east that can be seen all the way from the west. So, and then a, the last verse here in Luke uh, 21, 28 says, now when these things begin to happen, and notice the wording that's changed here, look up and lift up your heads. Why? He says, because your redemption draws near. What Paul spoke about in Romans 8, the redemption of our bodies. We're going to get our new bodies, our new glorified bodies. The rapture is not to escape uh, persecution or escape anything. It's always to get a new glorified body. That's right. Wow. So again, it's it's the Olivet Discourse. It's called the Olivet Discourse because it's on the Mount of Olives. Mm-hmm. And discourse meaning teaching. Yeah. Uh, it's apocalyptic literature or writing here. And uh, it is in Matthew 24, uh, Mark 13, and Luke 21. Those are the synoptic gospels. Yes. Uh, meaning that they are saying a lot of the same things like synopsis or, or synergy. We get that word, you know, synoptic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they cover a lot of the same material as to where John, the fourth gospel, is unique in a lot of ways. Some people call it the spiritual gospel and so mm-hmm. on. Uh, but uh, this same account is given in three different places. And if you really want to understand the Olivet Discourse, you need to look at all three. Yeah. Because you're going to get additional information Absolutely. from each of those three synoptic gospels. Like if you're yeah. in an accident, someone's in an accident yeah. and you want to find out what happened yeah. and you got someone standing on four different corners of yeah. that street, you're going to get different information. It's going to continue to add to give a composite Very good. picture of what really happened. And that's, yeah. that's what's going on. Uh, here uh, in these uh, these 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 three different accounts in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what's interesting is is that uh, Luke and Mark only record two questions. You know, they it's it's the disciples when when they take Jesus out of the temple and they show him the buildings of the temple, mm-hmm. and then Jesus says, "See, not all these things here. There shall not be verily verily I say unto you, truly, truly I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another." They shall not be cast down. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, they ask three questions. Matthew records all three. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other accounts just say, when shall these things be? Uh, and, and, and and when shall these things happen? Mm-hmm. But Matthew is more clear and more complete. When shall these things be? What should be the sign of your coming 
and the end of the age. Mm -hmm. So that's important to understand that the Olivet Discourse covers all of that. Mm -hmm. When shall these things be? Okay, that would be the destruction of Jerusalem and the Mm -hmm. temple. What shall be the sign of your coming? The the coming of the Lord, you know, the the day of the Lord, Mm -hmm. right? And the end of the age, the Mm -hmm. last day, the resurrection, yeah, right? The rapture. Amen. And so... Um, that's helpful to understand that the Olivet, Olivet Discourse, it's parallelism. It goes forward in time. It comes back and covers the same thing, and it goes back and covers it three times in the Olivet Discourse. And it covers A.D. 70, and it covers the second coming of our Lord. And mm-hmm. we can break that down at some point for you on those parallelisms in the Olivet Discourse. But this is not something that we can't understand. Yeah. We talked about this last week. How many times is the word understanding mentioned in Daniel? Oh, a like, lot. Like 20 times or <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, I think you looked it up. Yeah. It's like 20 something times. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, we need to understand, and we mentioned last week as well, that Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel stand in the holy place, uh, let him that reads you know, uh, understand. Yeah. Right? We need to have understanding. Yeah. So let's continue to understand God's word as we go forward. So let's repeat that then. The Lord Jesus Christ comes in great glory, great power on the day of the Lord to rapture his church and judge the world. And you know what? That was a fundamental uh, presentation, a doctrinal, a creedal statement that was made by the early church. First 300 years, that was what they believed. When Jesus came, he always came to judge, the judge of living and the dead, and he always raptured. We got the new body. That was it. it was, I mean, it was not very complicated. I mean, they really had it down and it was something that they were preached uh, a lot and man today we have so many different beliefs about it but i think that's also very key because i was raised up um, believing in the pre-trib rapture you know and that jesus was going to come secretly for the church seven years in advance and then seven years later jesus was coming again those were the two phases or the two stages of the lord's coming but here we can see in matthew mark and luke we can see that it's a time of judgment when the powers of heavens are, are shaken, when all these signs, that's when Jesus comes and that's when he gathers his church. So it's Jesus comes and the church is raptured at a time of judgment, not at a time when nobody knows about it and it's all secret. So, yeah. 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 We talked uh, last week, but just a reminder that there are near in time local judgments that are portents or signs of far future universal judgments and so we do see in chapter 13 that it does reference both the destruction of Babylon uh, mm-hmm. in history, but also the future uh, universal judgment at the coming of our Lord. And that's what happens in the Olivet Discourse. This is mm-hmm. a pattern in apocalyptic literature in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, so we see that it covers a local and then goes forward in time, mm-hmm. right? And comes back and covers some of the same material. This is a common literary device within end-time prophecy in the Bible. Just be aware of that when you're studying the Bible. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to highlight here the elect, because the preacher of rapture people say that that elect is the Jews or Israel, national Israel. (laughs) And it doesn't never, it never says that, uses the word elect. But if you go to look at Romans 8, 33, Colossians 3, 12, 2 Timothy 2, 10, 1 Peter 2, 9, Revelation 17, 14, you see that the elect are Christian believers. And so it's in the 
it's in the Bible that the elect are these people. So now if we go over to First Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, we see all again that same thing, the day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus, the rapture of the church, the gathering together of his people. So I know that most people who study Bible prophecy go to First First Thessalonians 4, right? Verse 15 it's, and following, it says, For this we say by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming, the parousia of the Lord, that's the second coming, will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself is going to descend from heaven. That's the second coming with a shout, the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. There's the last trumpet, three very loud things, a shout, a voice, a trumpet. The dead in Christ will rise first. That's the rapture. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together, gathered together with them in the clouds. There it is, the coming of the Lord in clouds, very visible signs. And uh, we shall always be with the Lord. Then the very next chapter, mm-hmm. it starts talking. It says, you know perfectly well, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape for you. But you, brethren, are not in darkness as so that this day will overtake you as a thief. I was just reading uh, this morning in Isaiah 13, those same verses we started out with. On the day of the Lord, it's interesting that he says in here, uh, he says, well, for the day of the Lord is at hand, Isaiah thirteen six, And then he says, they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them and they will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. Same wording that Paul uses here um, in First uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4. So we see again the coming of the Lord. The gathering together, us being caught up together, the rapture, and then the day of the Lord, all there together in one section. Preacher rapture people separate uh, chapter 4 from chapter 5 by seven years. And I say, okay, why do you do that? There is not, no mention of time in First Thessalonians and in Second Thessalonians. There's no mention of seven years, three and a half years, any time element. There's no time element found in these verses. So you have those big three again, the coming of the Lord, the rapture, being caught up together, and the day of the Lord. <clears throat> yes, and he's echoing again out of the Old Testament mm-hmm. regarding the birth pangs. There's yeah. a, a time of Jacob's trouble is mentioned. Yes. Uh, this is a uh, a common term, and Jesus uses it in the Olivet Discourse there when he says um, that there shall be wars, rumors of war, wars, famine, pestilence, earthquakes in, diverse, in many places. Um, he says... Um, he says, these are the beginning of birth pangs, Odin, okay, mm-hmm. in the Greek. And, and birth pangs, we know, uh, you know, are the Braxton Hicks. So I've never experienced them, <laughs> contrary to what uh, some uh, new philosophers are saying. Men cannot have uh, children. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, but we know that those pains, they, they get more intense and more frequent mm. over time, right? And right. so... That's what's going on uh, right now is we're getting some birth pangs, but uh, sometimes you'll, you'll have a lull between birth pangs. Mm-hmm. And so we do need to be watching sober, alert, and looking. Yeah. Uh, and then when we uh, see these birth pangs getting more intense and more frequent, then we know the coming of our Lord is near. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you quoted out of the Old Testament regarding those birth pangs. What was that site again? It is Isaiah chapter 13. Right, so right there in 13, eight. yeah. In the same place where hey, it let's has read the day that. of the Lord. You got that right there? Yeah, I have it right here. It says, uh, verse 6 says, Well, for the day of the Lord is at hand. 
And then if you go down to verse 8, it says, They will be afraid, pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. The very next verse, verse 9, says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes. So clearly, day of the Lord language, Paul quoting there in First Thessalonians 5, talking about the pains of a, of a childbirth. Um, and that's why that's we have the earth, right? That's why we have more and more earthquakes. And the earth is pregnant, and it's ready to give birth, and it's going to open up the graves, right? That's, that's what the birth pangs are about, right? It's going to open up the graves. It's getting ready to give birth. What Isaiah, you talked about it the other day, Isaiah 24, where it talks about the earth is going to um, give birth and, and the the dead are going to come to life. <laughs> so. Well, there's another account of why mm-hmm. we can see that Isaiah 13 is not only dealing with a local near in time judgment there in Isaiah's day, yeah. but the far future universal judgment, the second coming, because we have not only Jesus referencing the same terminology. Yeah. Okay. Uh, regarding the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. Sun shall be darkened and so on. We also have Paul from the same chapter, just a few verses up, he quotes uh, from Isaiah mm-hmm. about the birth pangs yeah. being eschatological, meaning the end of time, eschaton, last things, uh, eschatos mm-hmm. in the Greek. Yes. And so we see that Isaiah 13 is eschatological in import. And so... That's important to understand when you're studying Bible prophecy. We must understand what is preterist, what's been fulfilled in the past, mm-hmm. what is historicist being fulfilled throughout the history of the church even now, mm-hmm. uh, and what is futurist, what's yet to be fulfilled. Yeah. And so some passages are have a one-time fulfillment in the past, full preterist. Some have uh, a, a, a fulfillment during the church age and in the past, that would be partial preterist. And somewhere in the future, that would be futurist. Mm-hmm. Very yep. good. Isaiah, tw- I, I said it was Isaiah 24. is Isaiah 26, verse, 20, uh, verse 19. It says, your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. That's a, a rapture statement there out of Isaiah 26, that little apocalypse there in Isaiah 24, chapters 24 through 27. So now if we go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, right, this is the key here, I think, that really um, kind of dismantles the pre-trib rapture teaching in verses 1 through 4, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 4. And I think it's important that we read the context, but we'll get to that. Let's read this section right here. And now it says, Now, brethren, Concerning the coming of our Lord, that's the parousia, that's the coming of Jesus, and our gathering together to him, that is the rapture, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of the Lord had come. Okay, so all again, those three are together, the coming of the Lord, the gathering together, the day of the Lord. It says, let no one in any way deceive you. That's a big thing right now. A lot of people are being deceived. He says, for that day, the day of the Lord, it will not come unless what happens? The apostasy comes first. Apostasy is the Greek word. Clearly, uh, some use uh, other English words, but the Greek word is apostasia, only mentioned twice in the New Testament. Uh, but here it's mentioned there's an apostasy. Uh, you were standing up 
Apo means to stand. Uh, no, no, stasias means to stand. Apo means now to stand away. You used to be in the truth, but now you're no longer in the truth. You, that has to come first. And another thing has to happen. The man of lawlessness or sin is going to be revealed. The, man, the son of perdition or destruction. Now, what about those who say, well, that word apostasia, it means to remove from a former place, that that's actually referring to the rapture. You've heard that. Tim LaHaye was the one who preached that, that that is actually referring to the rapture, which is uh, totally ludicrous. That apostasia clearly is a word that means someone who was in the faith, someone who was in the truth, but now is no longer holding on to that. That's where we get all of our English words right of being an apostate to apostatize. It's somebody who once held to truths clearly defined by all the, I looked up all the different Greek dictionaries that have that. All of them have the same way. There's never where it's the rapture that Tim LaHaye was the one that started that whole thing, that that was the rapture. So, no, that's that's not correct. Well, uh, yeah, apostasy, in, 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 uh, even in extra biblical literature, is never used mm-hmm. in the way that Tim LaHaye or some teachers of pre-trib rapture use it. Yeah. It's a defection. It's a mm-hmm. revolt. Yeah. Right. A rebellion. It's used of religious apostasy. Look at Acts twenty one twenty one, the exact same word. Um uh it says, and they are informed of you talking uh about uh Paul, mm-hmm. uh that you teach all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, to apostatize from Moses, mm-hmm. saying that they ought not to be circumcised. So right. so so we see, you know, in the scripture the way that the term is used, um uh, and uh, also um, Revelation eighteen twenty one, um, it's it's talking about you know uh, Babylon being being thrown down or falling, mm-hmm. apostatized, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and so you know it it, it is it, it comes from the root to, to descend or to fall, mm-hmm. but if you do a a real study of the word and how it was used in Koine Greek. In the first century, um, it does mean to fall away from a pre- previously held stat status yeah. or position. Yes, departure mm-hmm. to forsake. Yes, falling away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It's just not founded in good exegetical, biblical understanding, or even extra biblical literature in the first century, did not use the word apostasia to mean to be like caught up or taken away. That's not what the word means. You know, remember when Jesus said uh, that people would issue, what Moses said, you know, issue them a certificate of divorce. Remember that? Yeah. And and, mm-hmm. and they can put their wives away, right? A writing they, of divorce. Yeah, right, the King right. James, yeah. Well, the certificate of divorce is the Greek, that whole phrase, certificate of divorce, is one word in Greek. It's apostasion. Interesting. And it's derived from the word apostasia, right? And Mm -hmm. it's, you were once together in marriage, but now you hand a paper to somebody and you separate, you move away. Mm -hmm. So so there's another reason to believe that (laughs) this word apostasia means exactly that. It's a Previously, you held to your wife, your husband, yeah. you know, you're in marriage together, and now you're separating away. You're moving away. You're no longer in that relationship. So it's a noun yeah. of the verb yes. apostasia, and the noun is to divorce, mm-hmm. yeah. to fall away, to put away. Yeah, so like you're divorcing the, yourself away from the Lord is basically yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. 
So yeah, exactly. So exactly. But let's go to second. Uh, so now we were just reading Second Thessalonians chapter two verses one through four. Right, clearly talks about the coming of the Lord, Parousia, gathering together the rapture on the day of the Lord. And he says that day could not come that day, capital D, the day of the Lord. But here's the thing. If you read chapter one of first Thessalonians, it clearly talks about Jesus coming in glory and power and in judgment, right? So I'm going to read from that verse seven, the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So he comes with all the angels. So second in, Thessalonians chapter one. Yeah. Sorry. Second That's right. Second, second Thessalonians chapter one mm-hmm. in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power. Notice this three, these six words when he comes in that day. Okay. So when he comes, Second coming in that day, the day of the Lord. Okay. So now, so that, that mentions the coming of the Lord, his coming in glory and power right there in chapter one. Okay. Now, now notice where coming is mentioned again in second Thessalonians. The the third time is in verse chapter two, verse eight. Uh, Second Thessalonians two, eight says, then, And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming, the parousia. Okay, so in chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, we have the glorious second coming, right? All of his angels, judgment, Mm -hmm. vengeance on the day of the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 8, we have him coming, destroying the, the, the lawless one. He's going to consume him, right, the, with the brightness of his coming. Mm-hmm. Both of those are clearly comings of the Lord in judgment. Guess what? The, the other time that the coming of the parousia is mentioned is in verse 1. So sandwiched in between the glorious second coming, chapter 1, glorious second coming of destruction on the lawless one, in chapter 2, right in the middle, we have the rapture, okay? So there's no seven years. There's no time element mentioned in Second Thessalonians. So you have coming, coming, coming three times in those first two chapters, and the middle one talks about the rapture. So there's nothing seven years in advance, nothing like that. It's all when the Lord comes in judgment, that's when he raptures his church. And it's the day of Christ. It's the day of the Lord. It's the day of Christ. Right it's there early. in verse 2, right? Yep. So, again, showing that that's all the same. That's very helpful, Mm -hmm. Pastor Charlie. You're listening to Kingdom Talk 2.0 every Saturday from 1 to 2. I'm Dennis McCourt. This is Pastor Charlie Avila, and we are diving deeper into God's Word. And we're talking about the kingdom of God. That's why this Kingdom Talk 2.0. Yes. Because this is about the king of kings coming back to establish his kingdom uh, and how this all plays out. And so what you're saying is is that we have, uh, you know, a, a repetition here. Mm-hmm. A reinforcement yeah. of the same event mm-hmm. in Second Thessalonians, which, by the way, you know this, but for our listeners, First Thessalonians in every chapter talks about the second coming. Yeah, Five. it's it's uh, it's 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 mentioned mm-hmm. uh, at, 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 at towards the end of every single chapter of First Thessalonians. Here we are in Second Thessalonians, yeah, and we're 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 just hardly halfway. We're not even halfway through the through through this the letter of. Paul to the Thessalonians and the second coming is mentioned three times mm-hmm. uh, there. As you mentioned, chapter one, verse eight, chapter two, verses one 
and two, mm-hmm. and then chapter two, verse eight. Yes. If people go, uh, our radio listeners or our online audience, if you'll go to teacherthebible.com and you'll click on the tab classes, I did a verse by verse class with the Fresno School of Mission on First Thessalonians and also did a verse by verse class on Second Thessalonians all the way through. You can have all the notes, all the verse by verse study of it. But yeah, clearly Paul is teaching on the coming of the Lord in the first one. Every, like you just said, every chapter mentions it and then. Well, that was the whole reason why he was wrote the second one, right? Some people were saying that the day of the Lord had already passed. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Certain things have to happen before the day of the Lord comes. And he mentions those two things. There has to be an apostasia and there has to be the man of sin has to be revealed. He has to clearly be revealed. The son of man is going to be revealed, but the uh, man of sin is also going to be revealed. Isn't it interesting? I mean, here, this is the fledgling church of the Thessalonians. Paul is writing back to them within weeks Mm -hmm. of having planted the church. Right. And he's dealing with eschatology. Yeah. He's dealing with Bible prophecy. Right. It's like, no, 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 that's that's for, you know, the the theologians or the Mm -hmm. mature Christians, Mm -hmm. right? No, these are brand new babes in Christ. And just quickly here, since we're talking about these these letters to the Thessalonians, because these are very helpful in understanding Bible prophecy. Yes. We see here in chapter 1, uh, verse 10, he says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus Christ, who delivered us from the wrath to come. Again, talking about the second coming, chapter 2, yeah. at the end of the chapter. Mm-hmm. He says, Jesus Christ, which is our hope, I'm sorry, you, the church, are our hope, our joy, or crown of rejoicing, mm-hmm. are not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming? Mm-hmm. Again, the coming of our Lord in chapter 2, verse 19. Chapter 3, yeah. uh, we see that he says, uh, to the to the end, that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. First mm-hmm. Thessalonians 4, verses 13. Now let's go to chapter 4. This is the big passage on the rapture here. Yeah. I would not be ignorant concerning those that are asleep, these sorrow not as others, which have no hope. And he says uh, in verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The second coming, and then finally in chapter uh, chapter chapter 5, uh, we see here, verse 23, verse 23 mm-hmm. here uh, that it says, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly or completely, and I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you ever want a, an antidote to depression and mm-hmm. sadness, just go to First Thessalonians, look at the end of each chapter, and be reminded of the glorious, that blessed hope, mm-hmm. and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it will lift you out of the molly grubs. You will get encouraged because we do have great hope with regards to our Lord's soon return. Yeah. You know, uh, I was doing a study for um, church leaders, the qualifications for church leaders, and three times Paul said they need to be blameless, right? So I did a word study on blameless through the New Testament. Do you know, Dennis, that almost so many, I just want to say so many times, that word blameless shows up regarding the coming of the Lord, that we Mm. need to be blameless, at his coming, and wow. you just read it right now, right? In verse 23, preserve blameless at the coming of our Lord. And you read it in chapter 3, verse 
13, it says he, that he may establish your hearts blameless. This is an amazing phrase, blameless in holiness before the Lord God and Father of our, uh, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've been talking about how important it is to have eschatology correct, right? Because it, mm-hmm. it, it allows you to prepare yourself for the coming of the Lord. We need to be blameless. We need to be seeking the Lord. We need to be, you know, chasing after him, following him, living for him, living in holiness. We need to have all those things, walking in a blameless life because he's coming for a church without spot or wrinkle, mm-hmm. right? So, so the whole emphasis here and why it's so important that we live for the Lord I'm preaching this Sunday. I'm still preaching through Romans 12, 13, and 14, right? So he says, our salvation is now nearer than when you first believed. And what does he tell you? He says, let's cast off the work of darkness. Let's put on the armor of God. Let's put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's make no provision for the flesh. So I love what you said, that emphasis that you've been giving to me personally and also that you've given to our radio listeners is, this prepares us for the coming of the Lord. Some of these other positions don't prepare us. They leave us kind of asleep. And that's what Paul said there at the end of Romans 13. He goes, it's high time that you woke up. Don't you know the time that we're living in? It's high time. Your salvation now, this ultimate salvation of Jesus coming for us is 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 nearer now than when you believed. And he says, we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's this whole element of practical teaching and living the Christian life that is so important. And so if you have the eschatology correct, then you're going to have, your living is going to be correct. Right. Again, yeah. sons of Issachar, they understand the times to know what Israel ought to do. Yeah. So it is about action and how we live our lives. It's important to be aware of these things uh, and, and, and to be always searching the scripture. You know, the Bereans were more noble than those of Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily to see whether or not the things that Paul said were so. Man. How much more, if we are to study to make sure Paul is saying something is true, how much more should we be studying what Pastor Dennis or Charlie has to say, uh, which I'm not a pastor, I'm an evangelist, but anyhow, um, uh, you know, and, and make sure that we're understanding the right thing with regards to our Lord's second coming. And and you've done such a great job in your book to, to really uh, cover so much, you know, throwing down the gauntlet we've talked about, and you basically have offered anyone uh, that can give a scripture that shows that the church is raptured before the tribulation. You'll yeah, give them seven years, anything like that, anything, any wording like that. I'll give you a thousand dollars. Okay, it's okay. A, the offer is still out there. I thought it was a hundred million, but no, I guess it was just a thousand. But <laughs> yeah, you know, I love that verse in Revelation as it opens up. Right, he says, "Blessed is he who reads." And those who hear the words of this prophecy, and then what? And keep those things which are written in it, mm-hmm. for the time is near. So the call to read Revelation is not simply to figure out a correct eschatological scheme, as important as that is. It's also so you can do what it says. You know, there's a lot of powerful truth teaching and living that's in the book of Revelation about how to overcome in these last days. And so it's not just about reading and being blessed. It's also about keeping what you're reading. And so yeah. And, and be it, obedient. Yeah. And it says for the time is at hand. Yeah, that's right. Here. So, so it was even back then they, they were facing, I believe, uh, you know, tribulation. And yeah. so some of those things applied, you know, throughout the church age. And that's yeah. why he says the things that are hand, at hand. Yeah. Um, but we've covered, you know, again, uh, uh, the, the big three, the second coming, yeah. Uh, according to Jesus, uh, 
and uh, Jesus is coming once more in judgment. We're going to be looking at that. Uh, you know, when will Jesus come back? Uh, you know, we'll be looking at the study of the exaltation of Jesus. Yeah. Um, and then the coming of Huge. Jesus in Daniel mm. uh, and, and Revelation. Um, yeah. You know, he's coming with great glory and every eye will see him. Mm-hmm. And that, go ahead. No, I just want to say that the book that the the books of the Bible that the preacher rapture teaching uh, the secret rapture teaching uh, appeals to the most is Daniel and Revelation. And it's interesting in neither of those books do you ever see any type of secret rapture. It's always a coming of the Lord in judgment and power. Uh, Revelation uh, Daniel two Daniel seven. He's always coming gloriously. He's always coming in power. He's coming with dominion. All those types of things. Same thing in in Revelation. You know, it starts out right from the very beginning, saying he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. We Jesus said there in uh, Matthew twenty four about all the tribes will mourn. All the tribes are going to mourn. Everybody's going to see him. He's going to come in the clouds. It's a very visible, visible coming, not a secret coming. Yeah, yeah. And so. you know, we're going to be covering when does the rapture occur, what is the timing, uh, the days of Noah and Lot, and what we learn from those days and references uh, regarding the second coming of our Lord. Yeah. Um, you know, at the twinkling of an eye, which, by the way, I've been looking at that word, you know, tacos, mm. uh, where it says that, behold, I come quickly in the Revelation several times. You know, it really does uh, mean suddenly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can mean just like, in a short period of time, I'll be coming soon. It can mean mm-hmm. soon, but it can also mean suddenly. Okay. And it appears to me that even when you look at that word used in the Septuagint, uh, you can see that that's what it's used for uh, um, uh, more than once with regards to uh, an event that's going to just break on the scene unannounced, mm-hmm. uh, uh, being unaware. And then suddenly the Lord shows up and that ties in with, uh, our Lord's admoni- admonition there in the Olivet Discourse and elsewhere that we need to be watching mm-hmm. and sober. He says, you know, he says, if the if the uh, householder had known what hour the thief would have entered, he would have watched and would not uh, have allowed him to enter in. So be ready for the Son of Man will come in such an hour as you think not, mm-hmm. that you're not going to be aware of. Right. Uh, and uh, I heard uh, one millennialist say, well, Jesus said he's going to come at a time when you're, not going to be expecting him, so you shouldn't be looking for signs, because if you want to hasten the Lord's return, then uh, uh, don't be expecting it. It's like, are you kidding me? That's not what that's saying. <laughs> it's actually saying the opposite. It says, yeah. because I'm going to come yeah. when you least expect it, you need mm-hmm. to be watching. So when I do come, you will be aware, yeah. and uh, I will not then come unto you as a thief. In fact, he says that much in the Revelation. Yeah. You know, he says, if, 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 if you, if you, if you, uh, if you do not watch, mm-hmm. he's talking to the, one of the seven churches there. Yeah. If you do not watch, I will come unto you as a thief. Yeah. But if we're watching, he's mm-hmm. not going to come like a thief because yeah. we're going to see him coming and we're going to be aware. And then of course that, that analogy breaks down. I mean, we're not, we're not going to lock the door and keep the thief out. No, we're going to run out and greet the thief. Right. <laughs> And then <laughs> escort him back into uh, our place, mm-hmm. the earth. Isn't it interesting? Right in the middle of the last, between the sixth and the seventh bowl judgments 
isn't it interesting that Jesus pops up and says something right in between the sixth and the seventh bold judgment? Like an interlude, right? Yeah, verse 15, he says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And mm. so, so right in the middle of the bowls of judgment being poured out, he talks about the coming of the Lord as a thief in the night. And preacher of rapture people use that whole uh, thief in the night teaching. There's even movies out called Thief in the Night uh, that's to try to support the preacher of rapture. And here Jesus puts it right in the middle between the sixth and the seventh bowl judgments, which are clearly eschatological judgments, right? That he's talking about the battle of Armageddon and them gathering together there in Megiddo. No, that's uh, all important. that. And so, so the thief in the night is not tied to a preacher rapture seven years in advance. No, it's tied right at the end where the bowls of wrath are being poured out way at the end. There oh, that's really insightful there. Yeah. yeah. So he's referencing that right in the middle of the, just right before it's the sixth bowl, right? Yeah, right. Right after this, right at the end of the sixth, sixth bowl. Correct. So this is, this is like, this is like very towards the very end. The seventh bowl is the final bowl judgment, right? It's plenary It's complete. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the seven trumpet judgments and the seventh trumpet we have uh, our Lord coming, and here just just before he's he's saying, "Look, I'm coming, I'm coming." Second Peter chapter three verse ten, right? But the day of the Lord will come as what as a thief in the night, right? In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt away with fervent heat. So the thief in the night again in second uh, here in Second Peter chapter three also is talking about. Him coming at a time of judgment, the day of the Lord. There it is again. Even the night doesn't come seven years in advance. It comes right during the day of the Lord judgments. So Yeah, and so in, in Revelation uh, chapter 3, um, it is to the church of Sardis okay. that he says, Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, Yes. Okay. and hold fast mm-hmm. and repent. Yeah. If you, therefore, will not watch, I will come unto you as a thief. Yeah. And you will not know what hour yeah. I will come upon you. Mm-hmm. So the implication is, is that if we do watch, yeah. then he will not come unto us as a thief. And we will know what hour when he mm-hmm. comes. Yeah. Right. We're not going to know the day or the hour. Now, that word hour can also just mean time. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Hora. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, season. Uh and so we will know, uh, you know, the 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 uh, the season when these things are happening. If we're watching and aware, then we will be able to greet him when he comes, and mm-hmm. and we won't be caught unprepared. Right. Yeah. And so uh, we're going to continue uh, here in our series. We're going to be talking about the parable of the wheat and the tares, and then the purpose of the rapture. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well, why why the rapture, and then the mm-hmm. the rapture on the day of the Lord, uh, and then we'll cover you know Daniel nine as well, and so uh, the foundation verse of the secret rapture there is so, Daniel nine twenty seven. Yeah, yeah, the which, whole thing, the whole enchilada is writing on Daniel nine twenty seven, <laughs> where there's this gap theory, you know, yeah, there's uh, a gap theory, yes. right, where this last week is just pushed all the way down. Uh, you know, someone said, it's like, if I was to tell you, um, you know, my house is, is, uh, let's say, let's, let's say my house is, uh, 70, uh, 70 miles from here. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, it's 70 miles from here. So I, I drive, I'm, I'm driving you home, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm driving you, I, I get to mile 69, right? And I keep driving. So 69 miles, all right? Yeah. I keep driving 70, you know, 70, 71, 75. I'm getting to 90 miles. I'm looking down, I'm looking over at you, and you're not saying that. I'm getting to 95 miles an hour, 95 <laughs> miles I'm driving. I said, yeah. I thought you said it was 70 miles, you know? And, 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 and you say, well, yeah, it's, 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 it's 69 miles, but there's a gap between <laughs> right. the 69th good. mile good and the 300th mile. Yeah. You know, and so, or, or, or the 400 miles. We got to drive 400 miles to get home. It isn't 70 miles. And that's what they do with the 70 weeks. Yeah. They put a gap between the 69th and 70, 70th week. Now, mm-hmm. a week in the Hebrew just means seven. Yeah. So it's saying 77s, and it's talking about years, and almost mm-hmm. all scholars agree it's 490 years. Mm-hmm. But if you really study it out, we may get a chance to get into some of that. Yeah, we, we can see that it's referring to the first coming of our Lord. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the idea of cutting that off and projecting that all up to the future uh, is, uh, it's really, eisegesis is reading into the scripture something that's not there. Isn't it interesting in uh, Daniel chapter 9, right before that 70-week prophecy, he's reading out of the book of Jeremiah, right? And he notices that the time is coming for the end of their 70 years yes. of exile, Absolutely. right? Yeah. And if you remember, God did the math. They violated the Sabbath on the land. And so for 490 years, they didn't keep the Sabbath. So God did the math. He divided 490 by seven and he sent them off to 70 years of um, exile. So isn't that interesting? There was seven, there was 490 years that came out to 70 years. And now he's going the other way future before it was in the past. Now it's in the future It's 490 years and it's 70 weeks. So it's amazing how God's math works out so beautifully there between the 490 and the 70, and then again, the 70 and the 490 going forward. So it's a beautiful uh, prophecy. You had to read the whole chapter 9, not just the last section of it there that talks about the, the Messiah being cut off and so on. But Right, you know, and when you we're see We're going to study that you know, It's going to be good. Those things that are <laughs> prophesied, you know, from the going forth of the commandment, yeah. And, to, and, to, and to Messiah the Prince. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it, it, and, and these things shall come upon your people. Yeah. So it is a prophecy regarding, like you said, the future there from the time of Daniel going forward up into the first century when Jesus came. Amen. So we'll be covering so much more about what happens on the day of the Lord and the purpose of the day of the Lord and so much more uh, going forward. So we'll give some thoughts on on, on the great tribulation as well. Mm-hmm. And again, we just want to, uh, to be alert, aware and watching, uh, as Paul said, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ to, to always be prepared when our Lord comes, we want to f- have oil in our lamps, mm-hmm. you know? And so that oil really is, is being prepared. Mm-hmm. It, it's about, uh, as you mentioned that, that purity, Right. Blameless. Blameless. Mm-hmm. The, the, the blamelessness that he's looking for. Not you know, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for they may present to him uh, church to himself as, 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 as a bride, a pure spotless bride, mm-hmm. blameless. Right. Not sinless. Without spot or wrinkle. Yeah. Not sinless, but blameless. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so to be cleansed through the blood of Christ, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pastor Charlie, it's been a joy. 
Thank you so much, Jesus is Lord. Yes, and let's continue to trust him for our salvation and to guide us and to keep us unto his soon return. God bless you all. Have a wonderful Saturday, and we'll talk to you next week. Go share the good news. Amen. Here before.